Clear. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general in nature. You should always consider your situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. This is a big deal. This is a yeah. big deal, folks. Well, they fly C-130s, they fly Twin Otters. It's a bush pilot's world. In the notes, I described it as the UCAP drinking game. Okay, so for example, here we go. Whenever I say moving on, take a drink. Uh. <laughs> I'm drinking water tonight. I should be... Man, I don't know how you're up to that. Well, no, see, I, I've, I've actually been suffering over the last couple of days with a little tiny bout of the, some sort of flu kind of thing here. So uh, so I haven't been feeling 100%. But I'm better now, and I'm here. Well, you seem to have forgotten the, uh, the antiseptic qualities of alcohol. Well, you know, I was, I was, uh, I, well, you know, it's funny you should say that because last in, in, night. In, in proper concentrations, of course. A, a turning point last night was when I broke open the NyQuil, all right? NyQuil is a, there you is, go. A, is a gift from God, man. NyQuil is a magic elixir. Oh, it is. And, it absolutely is. And uh, so uh, that that helped. That helped. And uh, Some of us in, in college discovered that it had the complete and 180-degree opposite effect of its advertised traits. And a cupful of that while cramming for finals, and we would buzz along for hours <laughs> because the ana- we, re- we reacted to the antihistamine more than we reacted to the alcohol. Uh-huh. You, took, you took Dayquil, not NyQuil. No, no, there was no Dayquil in those days. What he actually took was. I'm, like, I'm surprised there was Nyquil. In yeah, that's there. what I was going to say. <laughs> he took he took Doctor Bob's magic elixir. There you go. Yes. Okay. Bought, bought it off, off the, the snake of the... oil wagon. Exactly. That's right. There you go. That's right. And All I right. saw the two-headed snake that they brewed it with. Well, I'm anyways. I'm feeling a lot better. And fly directly uh, to the forehead takes on new meaning. But I am just drinking water. I've been kind of slamming water, and that helps me uh, feel better. So uh, that's what I'm drinking well, tonight. I'm drinking water. I was going to say, come on down where it's nice and warm and sunny. But well, we're going to come back to that no in just a second. Thing. We're going to ain't no that. such thing. That's right. Welcome, folks, to episode number 62 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Thursday evening, January 3rd, 2008. Happy New Year! Yay! Happy, Happy New Year! Happy, Happy New Year! <laughs> first episode. Speaking of uh, speaking of alcohol. Welcome. So, what'd you guys do for New Year's? Anything fun? Oh man, I I, I don't remember. Why? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to venture out into downtown Boston. We do, they do this big first night, uh, uh, you know, New Year's Eve thing, and uh, and uh, but then I, I then I wimped out and just hung out and watched it on TV and played with my computer and talked oh, to my friends on the internet. Brad and, and, and co-pilot Annie and I were invited to a little annual soiree at Dead Cow International. Oh. Uh, and uh, that's an early evening party, as in about 7. And uh, the leprechaun, uh, head man Earl Long, he uh, brews up several gallons of his homemade chili. Uh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. But it's 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 okay, chili's good, too. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, everybody that attends uh, brings a, a dish and whatever they want to drink. And uh, 
uh, nice young lady and uh, her accompaniment play a little music on the guitar and bass and sing, and we pretty much ignore all of that and catch up with a lot of old pilot friends and young pilot friends and and then are still home uh, early enough to uh, watch the ball drop. And that's the nice thing about being in Central Time. We can celebrate Eastern Time. New Year's Eve and, <laughs> and getting bit early. I'll tell you, I did that one time. The first, my first New Year's when I was living in California, I thought this was going to be really cool. I invited a whole bunch of friends over, and I said, "Come on over early. We're going to like we're going to celebrate New Year's in all of the time zones, and we'll have you know a little you know." You know, single oh, anxiety. Man. So, so we got together. By ten thirty, you're under the table. It's exactly what happened. Ten thirty right? in the morning. Yeah. By by, by then, we. Uh, I mean, I mean, the first one was great. Woo, you know, Times Square, nine o'clock California time. That was great. Then next to like Chicago is like ten o'clock California time, and you're going woo. Oh, you mean good, U.S. You know? time zone? Yeah. Oh. And then uh, and then, but then by by eleven o'clock California time, we're going woo. Yeah. Okay, let's go. You know. <laughs> you know. And then by you know. And well, then we got to do this again. By 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 midnight. By by midnight, I have to bleep that, Jeb. Man, I'm gonna have to bleep that now. I, See, I got. I, I forgot we were recording. Well, we are. I did the intro. <laughs> obviously, I did the intro. I, I know sometimes I keep it like a little bit of a secret when we've started, but you can pretty much figure if I've done the welcome folks to episode I'm, number sixty-two. We're probably. I'm sorry. That's, I've had a long, that's all right. I'll bleep it out, but people will know you, now that you, you, you do. You I think you should leave it in, bleep it out, and then leave in the conversation about bleeping it I'm out. I'm absolutely going to leave the because whole thing. Because nobody it's, knows who we are, so we could price, do this on, anonymously. That's the price we pay. Anyways, by the time midnight arrived, we were just ready. So like, <laughs> get, let's get this real. Let's get this West Coast midnight over with and go home because we're just beat, you know. So, anyways, I'm glad you guys had a good New Year's. That was nice. And uh, now we're, we're we're raring to go with the new year. We're starting a new uh, a new year's worth of episodes of the podcast, and that's pretty cool. Let me say hi to everybody here who's in the uh, virtual hangar. Uh, <laughs> there goes our anonymity is that's well sorry dave higdon's out there dave is an aviation photographer a senior editor for kit planes magazine and the u.s editor for london's world aircraft sales magazine and he's talking to us from wichita kansas how do you say which you know so i think i've probably said wichita a lot how do you say the name of your city dave uh very carefully just wichita say it. is wichita. wichita is the local wichita wichita, wichita. neither one of you got it right it's it's wichita which, well, that, right. Some parts of the country, that's the way it comes out. Oh, yeah? And I've even seen mail addressed to me that uh, had me in with chichichita Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> well, it's also spelled kind of funny. Back when we started the podcast, I spelled it wrong in the show notes a couple of times. And, uh, well, that, that was that, that really bad misspelling was from a company that wanted to hire, wanted me to hire them to do research. So, uh, yeah. What out of yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when you when you mangle Wichita into Wichita, uh, <laughs> it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in your research ability. And my other friend here in the virtual hangar tonight is Jeb Burnside. Jeb is an aviation journalist currently serving as editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz, and he's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. So, Jeb, so how's yeah. the weather down there in Sarasota, huh? Well, you know, I actually had to turn the heat on last night. <laughs> yeah, I guess. You guys, did you have snow? Did you it see was, snow? But what, I, no, I haven't seen it on the oven. Almost. Um, <laughs> no, just I, I'd been living literally, you know, with the heat off yeah. and, and the air conditioning off for several days, and it was very pleasant. Uh, you know, the house is is very well insulated. Mm-hmm. But um, this morning, I think um, it was right at thirty two here locally, and the wind has been honking for like thirty six hours. They're advertising the wind down here about 25 uh, miles an hour or so average. Um, so, yeah, I did, in fact, turn the heat on last night. But it was 
It was in the fifties, uh, supposedly this afternoon, and it's supposed to be like you know seventies or eighties by the weekend. So yeah. And uh, FedEx told me they'd have that weather to you yesterday. I mean, every year we try to yeah. share a little of cancer with everybody. I'm, I'm so we grateful. We some of that in an envelope for you. Uh, I'm so grateful you keep us on our toes. Um, it was in the twenty. It was in the twenties today in, in Tampa 20s. this morning. Oh yeah, right, yeah Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Yeah, it was cold. It, it, it was in the news up here. I don't know how. Maybe it's not such a big deal down there. I'm, well, I think it must be a big deal because they were talking about how the, all the uh, the citrus well, the, folks are really nervous. The, about he, the headline in Tuesday's paper, local paper, was "Forget the sweater, get a parka." Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> One report was that there were actually snowflakes in the air in uh, in the Tampa area. And well, uh, today there, I haven't seen a cloud yet today. So if there were snowflakes, well, I think it might have been overnight. I mean, because that's when yeah. it got cold. And uh, yeah, um, now there were some there were some clouds, low moving clouds with with some moisture in them uh, yesterday. It's actually and, you know, crystallized tears yeah. from the amusement park operators. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Well, I have to. And the night, night before last, it rained pretty hard. You know, as this front started to come through, uh, but it wasn't anywhere close to freezing, so that's not an issue. I confess, I took some some satisfaction from the fact that it was getting really cold <laughs> down there. Um, yeah, know. but Jack, Jack, but, but if, me, yeah. can I ask you a question? Yeah. Uh, how 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 cold is it in? Okay. In yes, I know. I know. In, in fact, it's right now. It's uh, it's twelve here right now. My little indoor outdoor thermometer. Fahrenheit or centigrade? Twelve. It's twelve Fahrenheit here in Boston <laughs> right now. That's, that's before the wind chill. It got that's just raw temperature. It got down to seven last night. It's going to get down so, to something like that again good, tonight. That's a good word choice. Raw temperature. Yeah. 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 When uh, it's that cold, that's raw. Yeah. It, or as Garmin would call it, the free air temperature. That's right. So yeah, yeah, our our your your low temperature was warmer than our high temperature in the last forty eight hours here. So uh, I can't really. But nevertheless, so, so I saw, in other words, I saw a picture a, of a I saw a picture of an orange hanging on a tree with I, caked in ice with a with an icicle hanging from it. Yeah, and, and see, I thought of you. So. You see what they did is they transplanted this tree up to Canada like you know forty years ago, and they took a picture of it, and. It's the same picture you see every every winter. It's, it's like it's like the, you know the the idea that there's really only one fruit cake in the world. It just keeps getting passed around. <laughs> there's only one frozen orange. There's only we one know, frozen we orange. Where, we know where that fruit cake moved recently. So. <laughs> well, all right. That's enough. Of the, that's enough of the weather talker today. I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. And I'm up here in in frigid Boston, Massachusetts. I shouldn't complain because our friends. We should talk to Randy or Rick out in uh, in uh, Minnesota or Wisconsin because I understand it's truly been cold there the last few well, I days. To- so. I told you what I did to Rick a couple of weeks. ago. I know you did. And did you ever hear back from him? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard from him since then, but I, I did. I did get a response. <laughs> airplanes, airplanes, so airplanes, the, uh, flying. So we, GA. we started the uh, the uh, UCAP forum, the discussion area on the website uh, a few weeks back, and man, it's just great. It's as good as I would have ever dared hope for. Um, you know, there's just a, we've got about. Let's see, I had the stats here a second ago. Where'd they go? And uh, a lot of. A, a lot of traffic. Yeah, a lot of traffic. There's to put it uh, into technical terms. I think we just passed a hundred posts, you know, messages th- that have been posted by various people. Um, we're up to about I can't find the stats right now, but we're we're up to forty, fifty, sixty different people who have who have registered, and uh, um, there are people posting responses to you know comments about past episodes and. Uh, um, 
but but more important, it, more cool to me is that people are posting brand new sub discussion subjects there. Um, people are asking questions about different aviation topics and, and and other people responding. There's one thread where where Dave and I have been posting. Jeb hasn't quite made it in there yet, but Dave and I have been posting. But there's one particular thread that neither of us posted to the listeners and the and the and the website visitors just figured it out all by themselves. And uh, so that was kind of cool. It was a discussion about. Well, I- the, uh, I, yeah, I will I will commit to to uh, spend some time there on the next. So, so the next. go in and check it out and uh, yeah. and uh, you know there's a lot of the, uh, Dave. There's actually one that well everyone thinks Dave's going to answer this. I think Jeb's got a good chance of answering it too. There's a a post about a uh, uh, let's see if I can find it here. There's a post where someone found a a uh, picture of uh, an uh, old uh, airplane in a uh, let's see if I can find it here. Let's see. It's, yeah, I see I see the post. Um, where is it? It's listener mail. It's uh, or is it listener mail? Where are you seeing it, Jeb? Tell me how to. Be- I'm seeing it. Uh, where am I seeing it? Virtual virtual hangar. Identify this airplane, make and model. Uh, okay, so it's in other topics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. What yeah. is that airplane? Um, it's tough to say. I want to say it's it's either a uh, Pitcairn mail wing or a Lockheed Vega. Dave, have you found it yet? The picture? I'm uh, onto that page right now. Identify this airplane, make and model, and scroll down to. I actually uh, found a screenshot from the. This is from a video that was on the uh, Cessna website. The Cessna. It looks like Oshkosh, actually. Uh, no, it's apparently the Wichita. What they call it, Dave? The Wichita Sky Fair thing they hold in August. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, the uh, uh, yeah the air fair. Air fair. Yeah. Uh, right off the top, it reminds me of a couple of different airplanes, uh-huh. but without consulting something more authoritative yeah. in my memory. Wow, I figured you guys would just say, look at it and say, oh, yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a one no, of these. That's, that's, obviously, it's a pre-war design. Um, it's I'm not. Sure I don't that's f- a racer. Yeah, it's a racer. I, I, I'm, I don't think that is a military design, although it could be. You know, it could be something as... as relatively simple is like a Boeing P-36 or something like that. Um, that I'll give the uh, the submitter, CAS, C-A-S, I'll give him great credit here uh, for uh, pulling this one out of the air, mm-hmm. literally and figuratively. Um, got, got us stumped at first glance, but fear not, we will figure it out. Well, Unless one of the listeners... Time- my first chance to look at the picture, and uh, yeah, mine also. Uh, I uh, first off, what what a, what a gorgeous piece of wing! Oh, oh absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, you know, again, thanks to the to the listener for bringing this one to our attention. We don't mind yes. little trivia. We don't mind trivia uh, uh, challenges like this at all. Um, I I want to. I still want to go with a, a original Lockheed Vega, um, but. What do I know? Yeah, well, keep an eye on this uh, on this thread on the on the forum because uh, chances are, before we get a chance to figure it out, some some visitor, some listener will uh, figure it out and post a response. So uh, because it's been that way, the forums it's just been a lot of fun. There's been a lot of uh, people participating, a lot of people making contributions, and uh, hopefully it will continue to grow. But uh, it's already pretty cool and pretty fun. So listeners, if you haven't yet uh, checked out the uh, uncontrolled airspace uh, discussion forum, you should do that. Go to our homepage and then go to uh, there's a link near the uh, near the link bar near the top of the page or you can just go to uncontrolledairspace.com slash forum no it's not a vega vega was high wing 
So, anyways, I was going to say, and it was a closed cabin. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting stuff going. So the one, and the one that I was tormenting you guys with earlier in the notes, I described it as the UCAP drinking game. One of the uh, a couple of different <laughs> members have commented on the fact that uh, uh, that there are a lot of little isms that we've all come up with uh, on the podcast. And so uh, you know, I think there's some it people isms. out there that are that are like taking a little sip of their scotch. When, it, for example, okay, so for example, here we go. This uh, um, whenever whenever I say moving on, take a drink. Whenever, uh, whenever, okay. <clears throat> whenever someone says there's no Jack H like our Jack H, it take two drinks. <laughs> and, We're allowed uh, to say that. Or when someone says the punchline no, is, take a drink. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to have to put more beer in the snow next we, week. We we are not we are not broadcasting prof- well, I mean we're sort of professionals, but you know, we we talk like real people hey, and speak for yourself. We talk like real people and uh if I have a tendency to say, you know, uh well, moving on too much. Well, you know. No, you, you, part of your job is to serve as the the doorman, if you will. But no, well, one, one, once in a while, you know, the, the moving on comes from Jebberman. Yeah. Uh, in any uh, event, take a drink. Um, another subject on the forum that's been pretty interesting is uh, people have really uh, embraced this whole idea of telling telling about your favorite airport restaurant, and I actually created a whole category for restaurants and. Uh, uh, just a, a lot of people. I'm going to try and roll them up somehow, not for today, but uh, I, I'm thinking this might even be another feature, you know, kind of airport restaurant of the week kind of thing, you know, where we, we talk about one or two airport restaurants that, that listeners have told us about. And uh, you can tell us about that by going to the forum, and I think it's in virtual hangar and then airport restaurants. And uh, and already there's about a half a dozen people who have posted about and, – and some of these posts are actually <laughs> listing multiple restaurants. There's a lot of interesting restaurants well, look, already listed here. Looking at this on New Year's Day uh, – I'm not sure what made me flash on it, but uh, uh, it reminded me of a couple of a couple of airport-related nearby restaurants. They're not at technically airport restaurants that I'd uh, partaken of in years past, and uh, posted them on there. And it's like, wow, it's gone crazy since then. Yeah. So, very cool. Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff going on in the forum, and uh, it's. Uh, and it's kind of developing a little bit of a feel that, that you know, like we've got done here. It was very casual. It's just people talking about uh, um, about flying, about airplanes, asking questions or sharing their experiences. It's cool. Check out the forum. Well, you cool. know, it, it, it's one of the nice things about knowing that, you know, whether you use this as a resource or some of the other uh, places, when you're actually traveling cross-country and you know you're going to be along a certain route, take a look at the airports there. Uh, it can be interesting to find that an airport along your route, you know, not only has fuel, but food too. Yeah. And make it a more desi- and, and thus make it a little more desirable, maybe not where you'd plan to stop for fuel, but, uh, you know, a new, new, new way to experience the people in GA and, uh, you know, try a new menu and, and not actually have to drift all that far off your direct circle route. Yeah. So, so thanks to everyone who's been participating in the forums and keep it up more and more and more. Uh, we got an, we got an audio comment, uh, recently that, uh, I wanted to play for you. I actually posted, I actually added it into the forum. So if anyone wants to go and listen to it, uh, on their own, they can, but, uh, but Lyndon from Michigan sent us this comment and I'm going to play it here now and then we can comment on it. Hey, Jack. 
It's Lyndon here from Michigan again. I was just re-listening to some earlier episodes and remembered hearing Jeb speak about charts and approach plates in the cockpit. He had mentioned, and you guys were talking about, there should be a way to electronically take them all with you. And, of course, I'm sure you know of and have seen all the commercially advertised electronic charts from Jepson and E-Flight chart, I think it is. But there's a cheaper way to get access to the free approach plates and charts from online. And I thought I would just let you and the gang know what I did. I jumped on eBay a while back and picked up a pre-owned tablet PC specifically the Fujitsu ST4110 that's Sierra Tango 4110 it's a touchscreen has full-blown Windows XP tablet edition and now all I have to do is every approach plate update cycle download all the approach plates drop them onto my hard drive and during my flight planning I drag and drop icons to my desktop for all the locations that I'll be visiting on that particular trip. <laughs> Along the way, I can double-click with my touch pen on the tablet and bam, all my approach plates for the current location or the current airport are at my fingertips. I still use the conventional paper low altitude and route charts and sectionals because I do not like those to be limited to the 10-inch screen. I have friends that use them on the tablet, downloaded from Sky Vector and places like that. They're completely paperless, but I still like to unfold the sectional and have it in front of me. Be sure that when shopping around to get a screen size that you can see when displaying your PDF files and approach plates. There's a lot of 8-inch and smaller tablets out there, but they were too small for even my 2020 vision to pick off MDA altitudes and frequencies. The tenant screen and on up from there were all pretty nice solutions. So if you want a great solution, check out a tablet PC with tablet XP installed. Uh, hey guys, keep up the great work. I hope I can send some more ideas and contribute in the future. I love what you guys do for general aviation. I love the new forums and many continued thanks to Jack, Dave, and Jeb for an absolutely great hangar cast. See you guys later. That's Lyndon, Lyndon from uh, Michigan, and uh, thank you very much, Lyndon. That's great. Hey, now, uh, listeners, you didn't hear the entire length of Lyndon's. We, we kind of trimmed it down a little bit, but he had a lot of really interesting information and clearly had done some research on this. And uh, some great, some great suggestions for anybody absolutely. interested in lightening up their chart load. Yeah, and I'm not yeah, sure that I wouldn't uh, go ahead and do the end route charts that way too, because yeah, yeah. if I could very, see ten inches worth at a hundred percent compared to a paper chart, that's about mm -hmm. all I'd be looking at on a paper chart at the time anyway. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I Thank you, Lyndon, very much, uh, both personally and uh, on behalf of the podcast. Um, I will uh, um, dive down a little bit more deeply into this. I've, I've gotten to the point where I just want to throw the towel in on trying to keep up with uh, all the paper charts in the airplane and whatnot. I'm, I'm especially concerned about approach plates. Um <clears throat> But, um, uh, you know, certainly li like Lyndon, uh, especially concerned about approach plays. But I will definitely uh, 
uh, follow up on some of this, and I sincerely appreciate it. When we were at Oshkosh, Jeb, you you found one particular solution that you kind of liked. What? Oh, did, that was the E flybook. That was the E flybook, and um, I liked it. Uh, it was slow. Uh, I, I considered it to be slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was some other aspect of it um, I, that that um, turned me off at the time. I don't recall what it was. Um, I believe it was the mono, monochrome only display. It might have. It might have been monochrome only. It might have been um, <clears throat> some other aspect of the of the uh, operating system. Um, is in, you were, you I'm were not, pretty I'm enamored not, with it there for a little while. Well, I liked it. I still like yeah. it. Yeah. Um, um, well, we, we bumped into I, that great guy out on the uh, yeah, front steps of out. the motel there. I think we were in between right. rounds of lineys, so anything might have we been. Were, we, you know. we were in search of four lineys. We were stumbling into the hotel. Okay. Um, let's let's drop. People are going to get totally the wrong idea. I don't think stumbling lineys. I need to open another one. But yeah, that. So you, that. You, but you never actually went out and bought one, obviously, and. Uh, I never, I never have bought one. Um, thank you, you know, to the gentleman who uh, let me look at his and and push buttons on him and that kind of thing. I we actually, spent, you know, we spent a better part of the last, you know, our one Jim and I wandered the buildings the last uh, afternoon that the show ran, and and you know, I, I think we hit every uh, electronic flight bag option right. on the field, and they, you know, there's so many good ones there and so many strong ones. But uh, so many of them are so expensive. Yeah. I've often thought that the way we could finance the podcast is whenever someone's telephone rings in the background, you have to, like, put a quarter in the bucket or something like that. <laughs> Dave, are you still there? Dave yeah, wandered. I'm here. I just muted it until the phone stopped. Right? Dave wandered off to answer the telephone there. No, well, he didn't. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of solutions these days about, you know, portable devices that you can take with you in the cockpit. And uh, I just... In a way, it's almost an embarrassment of riches. It's like, like it uh, is. I, I mean, I'm not really in the market for such a thing for aviation purposes, but but as a computer guy, I'm always on lookout for something I can carry around that's a little bit smaller than my laptop. Well, and that's uh, a, that's a good point. I, I would also like something that I could use, uh, you know, that had Wi-Fi in it that I could use um, um, to at least look at email, if not respond to it. Right. Uh, plug a maybe a usb keyboard into it or something like that i'd be interested um, to hear if anybody out there is using this new kindle device that Lyndon mentioned um this is a thing that came out from amazon a, a few weeks back um that's basically a a, a a portable reader a book you know book electronic book kind of thing and uh in a, it's it it's primarily exists so that you will buy content from Amazon to read on it by uh, you know on electronic books and mm-hmm. electronic publications and so forth. But it's very flexible apparently in the in the your ability to upload your own content to it. PDF well, files. PDF and, is as PDF does. Yeah, it's and true. it also apparently has a, an amazing way of connecting to the internet. Um, not amazing so much that it can do it, but that it's pr- basically free. It's a kind of this funny loophole almost that uh, Amazon provides free internet connectivity through the cell phone networks um that that you don't pay for um strangely Hmm. you know so uh so you can surf websites and uh you know i mean it's a little bit limited but it's not not dramatically limited so the the kindle's an interest i'll be interested to hear people and apparently they sold a lot of them uh, in their initial rollout and so i'd be interested to Hmm. see hear from other listeners who have solutions for doing electronic versions of charts and flight information would be a good subject to hear more about yeah it absolutely would anyways Let's see now. So, uh, 
online search and rescue. This is uh, this comes out of of uh, one two searches that happened recently. One was an aviation search, and one wasn't. Um, this is I'm reading now from a story on uh, on our beloved Avweb. A uh, new online search and rescue mission launched. A group of committed volunteers who met online while participating in the Amazon slash Google search for Steve Fawcett have launched a new website, InternetSAR.org, to facilitate such searches in the future. Quote: We learned a lot during the three months or so of searching for Steve, and we didn't want the collective wis- that collective wisdom to get lost," said site founder <laughs> Ken. Oops, I'm going to pronounce his name. Barb, Barbara Lace, Barb, Barbara Lott. I don't know. Sorry, Barbara Lace. Ken. Ken, Ken told Avweb on Wednesday. So uh, that's Barb, kind of interesting. We talked about this on the podcast. This was uh, uh, part of the system where uh, uh, Google and some other folks financed the taking of some new high-res uh, satellite photos of the of the search area, and then they invited people on the internet to go and just kind of search the photos and submit any suspi- you know suspicious any any pro- promising looking um, targets. Targets for people to look at more closely. They did. This is actually came out of another search that was done a few few months prior when a uh, another Silicon Valley uh, notable um, went missing in his sailboat out in the Pacific Ocean. And uh, um, but now apparently they did those kind of uh, on a on a you know. Uh, you know, ad hoc, ad hoc basis. Thank you. And now they're going to try and formalize this whole process to, to you know, allow the community wisdom to participate in certain wisdom, search and rescue. I think it's cool. I, I sounds like a great idea. What intrigues me is uh, figuring out how you're going to get uh, post missing report satellite images every time you need them yeah well i mean it's just you know i'd be interested in learning how that works it'll be expensive yeah it's no it's not a problem that money can't solve it that you know there are services these days where you just go and order them up and uh um and uh, you can get basically i would imagine i think any place on the on the earth you know depending on how the satellites are passing over but there are services that that you know aren't aren't uh proprietary or aren't confidential aren't you know military right, right. So it's just a question of somebody being willing to pay for these things, and uh, um, I, I would imagine that's part of what these guys are doing. Is they're also working on the financing of how to arrange to to pay for these things when when they're needed. And uh, so well, that's 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 ink worth giving. Yeah. So it's a it's an interesting internetsar.org. I'll put a link in the show notes there. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. Did yeah, I, yeah. either of you participate? Did you actually go look at the pictures for like Steve Fawcett's search? I did not. I uh, I I'm sorry to say I didn't have the uh, um, time. Yeah. To, to be I, that was right in the middle of you trans transposing yourself from a Virginian to a yeah. Meridian and uh, yeah. taking up shuffleboard and uh, uh-huh. that the uh, the uh, uh, fact that the faucet search was not successful, notwithstanding, uh, this is a great idea. Uh, it is. It's the way of the future. Again, this is not aviation specifically, but the whole idea of distributing a job around uh, around well, uh, to individuals. And while know. we're talking about search and rescue, it's just a little pea thought that popped into my pea brain. It said, "Don't we have a uh, an end game coming here in uh, February of '09?" Where satellites will no longer scan yes, one twenty one point five. Yes, we do. Yeah, what's the? We talked about this a few episodes ago, but and then that doesn't mean that that using one twenty one five for these beacons is is going to go away, but or does it? Well, well they it won't be. They won't the be listening for one twenty one five. Well, they won't be listening by satellite, but they'll be. Will no, they, they be listening? Be, they, so they they'll won't be, be listening by satellite. Right. That's true. 
But, before, but they will be listening via other means. Right, because before, they, you know, years ago, they didn't have the satellites, they, but they still used it by right. listening to the local stations and, and you know, the, the, uh, the uh, you know, reserve kids wandering around with the funny-looking antennas, um, you know, doing directional searches for the... Civil Air Patrol. Civil Air Patrol, thank you, yeah. And, uh, so, but uh, something, something to think about, kiddies, because uh, there are better ways to assure your rapid... Uh, discovery and recovery. That's what I was going to ask. So what replaces this whole concept? What should we be doing now to making sure? The funny thing is I haven't really seen any 406 megahertz EPIRB type uh, uh, ELTs for for aircraft yet. There there are some out there. Are there some out there? There's there's one or two out there already. Um, But there's no critical mass. You know, the the EPIRBs are there. The G-switches are there. The the um, the TSOs are there. The knowledge and and the will to build them is there. The market isn't there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, I guess that's a point. Uh, uh, but what what, what will know, make the market? I mean, is this the well? I, I'm not arguing for this, but the the market will be made when either when one of either one of two things happens. One, there's a um. Very visible uh, uh, loss of some notable individual who would have been saved if he or she had a 406 ELT. A. B, when the FAA mandates it. And uh, the important distinction here is that, yes, the FAA is fully aware that, that the 121.5 um, ELTs will no longer be monitored by satellite as of February 09. No, the FAA has not mandated that they be replaced with 406 megahertz uh, ELTs. And um, based on the speeds with which the FAA moves on things like this, it's probably too late for them to do a rulemaking and uh, change this regulation in advance of the February 09 deadline. So oh, yeah, I'm not, not saying that they... That. Yeah, not saying that they couldn't if they wanted to, but um, uh, all signs, you know, would indicate that they're not going to do this. Well, there's um, been some pressure against mandating a replacement, uh-huh. uh, and uh, uh, some low-level encouragement to pilots to look into this in new, newer technology and 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 start to ad- right. adapt it to their airplanes or adopt right. it for their airplanes. Uh, however you want to put it. But let me ask but, you this. Uh, something to think about because uh, uh, nothing nothing terribly wrong with the 121.5 except it's uh, prone to problems. It's hard to pick up. It takes a lot of work to narrow it down to a reasonable search uh, okay. area. Uh, Battery life sucks. The, there's no uh, um, data that can be transmitted with the ELT signal. Other than that, there's really nothing wrong with can actually the new EPIRBs uh, can yeah. actually upload to the satellite uh, uh, GPS to arrive that long. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, that won't put them right on, on your dime necessarily, but it'll put them within a mile or so. So these well, new, are these new ones, are, are they a, a standalone device in the same way that the uh, the, the existing beacons are? You know, you, you stick them in back in the baggage compartment? and uh, yeah, Absolutely. There's, there's basically um, um, three kinds. One, um, uh, no connection or no, uh, uh, well, I guess that's not true. Let me think about this for a second. Um, uh, 
Um, I guess there's I guess there's three kinds. Someone some one of our readers will be certain to correct me if I'm wrong here, which I probably am. But the, the one kind is there's simply no uh, GPS uh, capability or facility at all built into the device. It sends a signal, and that that signal is localized by the satellites. Second kind is um, it has a, a built-in GPS uh, receiver in it. And as long as the the GPS antenna and the transmitting the signal transmitting antenna see the sky, a it will um, um, uh, obtain and, and process the GPS signal to render a position. B it will transmit that position as well as the rest of its data to the satellites orbiting overhead. The third kind uh, interfaces with the onboard the ship's GPS, which requires some wiring. Um, and derives basically the last known GPS derived lat long from the onboard GPS and transmits that to the satellite. But all these devices are basically silent or asleep normally, and they only come alive when there's an incident, when you hit or, something or hard. When, or when manually activated. Right. By, and my uh, question would be, couldn't you do a deal where um, instead of having a dedicated device that's usually sleeping and only wakes up when it's needed, um, as we more and more of us have the oh see I'm going to get into Jeb's I know what Jeb's going to say as more and more of us have these ADSB ADSB related devices, couldn't you have sort of a negative based system so that you know when when you given that we're all going to be much more visible in the system now, when you disappear from the system it becomes the alarm. Interesting. Interesting thought. I, I and I don't know uh, seems how to plausible. respond to that. It seems plausible. The only you know trick would be all right. So I'm droning along and I disappear from the system. How does the system know that? Okay, there's not a public airport there, uh, and there's not a a published private airport there. But how does the system know that in fact I didn't land on my own little private airstrip on some property I just bought? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just asking. It's definitely a, a more complicated, a more complex, you know, kind of, you yeah. know, and you know, figuring out what, why they disappeared. And but, I just, I, I think if we're going to have these devices in our airplanes, you know, I'm, I'm not big on, you know, dedicated devices. I like multi-purpose devices. And, uh, and, and if we've basically got all this kind of position aware capability in the airplane, anyways, as ADSB becomes more and more popular or mandated, we could give it double duty somehow some way or or have a big red but red button on our on our adsb device too i don't know oh well oh, so uh, well, you don't you don't have a big red button on your airplane <laughs> no, that's right I I, dude get with the program i know wow jibs won't fly unless you push the big red button that's right that's right it's connected to my wallet that's right <laughs> what's next here let's see now oh okay uh we talked about a little bit about this last week uh, in our uh, year in review here. Hang on a second. Did yeah. we dispose of the drinking game thing yet? I, I, I'm not sure. How were we going to dispose of it? We well, talked we about, about it. We talked about it. That's right. We did talk about it. I, I just wanted to participate. But he hadn't said anything that I don't uh, think any of us have, to drink lately. I, I, don't think we've, I don't think we've rung the bell yet. I think we're still... I think I, should we do something just to kind of give our listeners a little, you know, they're all well, just sitting there no, anxiously there's, waiting. There's no Jack Ace like our Jack Ace. <laughs> <That's right>. Go <laughs> drink twice. Moving right along. Drink twice. Moving right along. We talked about this last week, I think, uh, and that is now. that the new uh, FAA administrator, uh, uh, who we thought would kind of sail through his confirmation, 
um, is is apparently not sailing through anyways. And uh, are either of you following this story at all? I'm familiar bit. with it. Um, it. It's you know this is all apparently being held up over um, some uh, members of Congress from the Northeast who want the FAA to redesign their airspace. Well, sorry guys, but your airspace gets redesigned about once every six years. And uh, what you need to think about doing is, uh, you know, putting some more pressure on uh, the airlines to cut down the number of flights uh, and use larger aircraft and, and spread out those flights over, over different periods of time if you're interested in, in uh, doing away with delays. If you're interested in, in doing away with noise, I don't know what to tell you. Well, I, the, the, the best thing to do to help mitigate noise is to let these guys do what they need to do to make a profit so they can afford newer aircraft because newer aircraft are increasingly less noisy than aircraft even 10 years ago. I mean, we've got stuff moving into stage four now and uh, living in an arrival, under an arrival gate for mid-continent as we do. Uh, you know, it's readily apparent when I'm outside and I hear a stage four level aircraft go up because I have to almost see it to know it's up there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it literally is the background modulation of the wind blowing in the trees yeah. very often will drown it out. Street traffic is often louder than the sound of these aircraft coming or going. That's right. One of the one of the more amazing things that it, that is strikes me about some of these new um, personal jets, the the Eclipse, for example, uh, et cetera, is how quiet they are. It's like, wait a second, is this thing running? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the Eclipse, the Mustang. Uh, I've got a pickup a truck that makes more noise. But uh, you know, it also it also goes up to and and, and includes some of the newer Citation and newer Lear models. Yeah. Uh, we get challengers and uh, Global Express, Global 5000s come over. Uh, it's not that they don't have a noise or a, a sound footprint, but to be irritated by that yeah. would be putting myself up in the hypersensitivity uh, area. I'd need to live in a soundproof room. Right. I need to do away with the sound of tires on streets, wind through tree <laughs> limbs, uh, well, uh, sound not only is- steps. Not only is the decibel decibel level of that noise uh, lower, but the quality of the noise is completely different. Uh, absolutely. In my mind. What do you mean uh, by it's, that? It's, I, I knew someone was going to ask me that. Um, there's, a, there's a high speed yeah. line associated with so many of the old engines that it was it, it very often exceeded in decibel level the sound of the jet blast. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, and, unless you were, you know, pretty close to directly behind the engine. Uh, if you were someplace on a perpendicular to around toward the inlet side, the sound of the inlet uh, fans and the uh, compressor turbines and the turbine blades all together just made a terrible whining, it, it, and it hurts. I mean, uh, I don't want to pick on a particular engine brand because they don't make their engines any like that anymore but there are examples of some very fine turboprop aircraft uh-huh. that were you know uh, noteworthy and noticeable because the uh, sound of their engines preceded them by a large distance 
and it was the kind of noise that, at, 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 a, at a frequency and an intensity that was actually physically uncomfortable to be around. It was painful. It was mm-hmm. painful. Yeah. And uh, you know we don't we we don't see that engine in production anymore. Thankfully, uh, we still see some of the aircraft, different aircraft, powered by some of those engines. Uh, because they have, you know, some of the aircraft have great appeal for cost or fuel efficiency or speed or some combination thereof. But uh, that doesn't make them any less painful to be around when the pilot fires up the fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so we uh, expect uh, Acting Administrator Sturgill to be confirmed eventually. Is that? Uh, I've some, given up making be some action there yeah. from other corners of the industry that are going to want to see something traded away. In legislation, in order to uh-huh. get the Senate to go along with this confirmation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I don't have an inside track on that, but watching the way some of the things have played out, some some of the resistance is, unfortunately, presidential year politics. Uh, there there is an element, that's very small, and it's really not part of what's holding up Bobby Sturgill, uh, but they would really prefer not to appoint uh, an administrator with a five-year fixed term uh, or confirm an administrator with a five-year fixed term appointed by this president. Yeah. I mean, it's just that simple. Right. Uh, they would rather wait for the next shift. Uh, and there's some argument that the FAA will do better if it actually has a confirmed chief executive running the place. Uh, there are others who would point out and, and with some degree of credibility and accuracy that uh, when our, our, our good friend uh, was acting administrator, uh, that uh, Barry Valentine made the, the trains run on time and the programs move ahead every bit as effectively as the administrator that had been confirmed before him and after him. Right. Mm-hmm. How does it the work at the FAA? Acting. So, so well, the, the FAA here's, administrator. Here's the other. Well, hang on a second, Jack. Here's another punchline, though. Here too. All right, everybody. Take a take drink. A, take a drink. Um, is that <laughs> Stur, Stur, Sturgill is the acting administrator? So why right. do they even bother need to confirming him? Yeah. Or need, he, need to bother he, confirming him? He could me. just remain. How does it work at FAA? Is the is the administrator of the FAA um, a real working the the head of the organization or is it more of a ceremonial kind of political position and there's a number two person who's there from administration to administration who really knows how to do the job and does it and makes it happen I, I think the answer is yes on that but it depends on the administrator that's right it depends on the administrator i see okay sometimes in sturgill's instance it would get the other in sturgill's instance it would be a working position um was Blakey uh, a real uh, hands-on? I, I, I have no, Mr. I have no response for that. that. Kind of kept things moving along, right. under the past administrator, who did a great deal on the political front and a lot of FaceTime and and a lot of events, and was not a you know not a, a dumb person by any means. Yeah, not but at all. The day-to-day running of the operation, a lot of people felt was what Mr. Sturgill did well. Uh, working for uh, Marion Blakey, and it's one of the reasons why he should be just confirmed and be done with it. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. We should move on. But let me ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I apologize. I'm going to take a drink. Hang on. Uh, what, uh, who, who are some of the sort of second and third level uh, FAA people that are you know, kind of 
really in the trenches. Do you know their names? I mean, who are these folks that are Nick, Nick Sabatini? Um, as I think uh, assistant administrator for safety. Um, um, Jim uh, Baylaw, Fly Standards. Uh, to me, those two guys are the ones who make the airplanes fly. That's right. And are uh, they are is their position such that they they're civil servants? They're not going anywhere. They they stay from administration to administration. Uh, civil servant, yeah. They're 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 SES or something like that. But they're they're uh, they've been there a while. They're going to continue to be there a while, so and, 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 and deservedly so. Yeah. They would be difficult for a political appointee to remove. Fortunately, yeah. yeah. Okay. Not impossible, but damn difficult. What's next here? Uh, Dave, I think you posted this one, although it's close to my heart, too, and that is the uh, ski plane fly-in at uh, Pioneer Airport is coming up soon. And uh, is there any particular – were you just wanted to remind folks of this, or is there particular news about this? Well, no particular news, although it's looking more encouraging for uh, Pioneer Airport at uh, Whitman Regional Airport in Oshkosh to actually have snow this year. Well, we've been Uh, teasing them. Do they have snow on the ground now? I think they must, right? I think they've had a bit. Uh, and hopefully in about three weeks, uh, two weeks by the time the folks hear this, uh, the, uh, the the runway there will have a nice coat of snow on it for the ski planes to fly in. Uh, for folks that uh, don't have a ski plane to fly in, you can fly in conventional to Whitman, and uh, they'll be running shuttles over for the event. Uh, the event also is a uh, an excuse to celebrate uh, Audrey Poberesny's birthday, and Audrey is the uh, founding mother, if you will, of, of the Experimental Aircraft Association. Uh, pa- Paul Poberesny's uh, uh, faithful wife and, and, and long-suffering got that thing started in her basement, and it took over. Uh, her son's Tom, the current president and, and chairman of uh, EAA. And uh, so they celebrate her birthday. They kind of celebrate what will be the 56th anniversary, I believe it is, of EAA. And uh, the uh, snow will be flying. The chili will be hot. Uh, it should be should be a lot of fun. Uh huh. Now check this out. So I just while you were talking there, I went onto the web. Um, there's a Pioneer Airport webcam, and uh, so I was curious. To, uh, now it's dark there right now. Uh, if you go to airventuremuseum.org/webcam, hmm. And uh, apparently there's about four different webcams scattered around the uh, AirVenture Museum. Three of them are inside, and one of them is out looking. It appears to be mounted on the museum building, looking out across the field towards the hangars on the other side. Oh, um, cool. All I can that see right, neat. All I can see right now is uh, a light on the front of one of the hangars. Uh, but if it were daylight, we could check out whether there's snow, and we could actually watch the uh, the, the ski plane flying on the web. That's That'd right. Be, that would be really cool. Well, and, you know, cool. visit the website. Website, folks, if you're planning on flying a ski plane in, there is a briefing required. Uh, it's kind of similar to us preaching. Get the NOTAM. Read the NOTAM if you're going to Oshkosh. Uh, call in. Get the briefing. Uh, do it nice, safe, and smart. Have a good time. Yeah. So uh, we'll put this link I in the... I know I'd be there if I had skis. Put this link in the show notes, but you can actually peek in on uh, on Pioneer Airport um, throughout the year. I didn't realize that was there. I just went searching on a whim while you were talking about this. and uh, I'll have to It's check. amazing what you discover during the midst of hangar flying and drinking games. That's right. <laughs> so speaking of EAA, uh, uh, and this seems like a Dave subject. I don't know who posted this on the list, but um, EAA has... Fi- this is the headline. EAA files exemption for ELSA conversion process. Extension. Uh, ex- 
Well, the headline it's, I'm looking at a, says it's exemption. It's an extension for the conversion application process. Now, what's uh, this all about? Because I'm I'm, I only vaguely know what this is even all about. Can you kind of give us a, the, the 30 seconds on what, what's going on absolutely, here? Absolutely. Uh, after the FAA created Part 103 back about 26 years ago, uh, the industry got together and lobbied a little bit, and in its wisdom, the FAA decided that it would be a wise thing to do to allow for two-place ultralight trainers for a category of an air- aircraft that is single-place only, the ultralight Part 103, single-seat, five gallons of fuel, 55 knots, and all this. So they created a, a path to obtain a waiver for operating two-place ultralights for training purposes only. Uh, some of them were called fat ultralights. Uh, when the light sport rule was uh, published, uh, I guess about three years ago now, uh, there was a deadline set for converting these fat ultralights, these two-place trainers, to the experimental light sport aircraft category, ELSA. Uh, there's a deadline coming up for that conversion and EAA and FAA have been preaching about this for months that the deadline was hard and fast the FAA in particular I think it's January 31 if you don't have the conversion done by January 31 you can't do it that airplane can't be converted it basically becomes a museum piece or a very big lawn ornament or a large large paperweight cannot be legally flown under any circumstances for any kind of operation, no more ultralight training, no nothing. Uh, EAA is worried, and and with some cause, that there are a lot of those aircraft out there that are going to get caught in the paper pipeline because they didn't apply as far back as August or September. They didn't apply for the conversion. The conversion requires an inspection by a designee or an FAA uh, uh, person to uh, check for compliance and, and, and mechanical safety. Uh, paperwork has to go through the agency, come back. Uh, so the uh, EAA has applied for a waiver that would allow the application paperwork to be sent in before the deadline and the deadline not be the cutoff for the actual inspection and the finishing of the paperwork. If you get the application in by the deadline, then they want uh, that to count and for the system to play itself out. Uh, It's to the benefit of the people that have those kind of aircraft. It'll be a benefit to the community because that's still the best way for an ultralight pilot to learn to fly a new machine. And it's not a bad way to get a light sport license either. That's right. Um, Yeah, this is this this fat fat LSA conversion or fat uh, uh, ultralight conversion to ELSA. It's an issue that's been out there for some time. the The deadline has been out there for some time. Um, this should not be news to any operators who who have a pulse who have been paying attention here. No, uh, the the flip side of this though is if in fact the FAA has not allocated the resources. Uh, those resources being inspectors and airworthiness representatives to review these applications and perform the inspections necessary, then you know, bad on the FAA. And in fact, this this uh, extension should go forward. I suspect what will happen is, uh, uh, as long as the the uh, uh, initial paperwork has been uh, somehow initialed by a FISDO. 
um, that that'll be sufficient to come in that, under the deadline. Right. That would be that would be progress from the way the FAA right. has been selling this so far. Right. right. And uh, and they wouldn't have reality, to extend the deadline. What are you going to do, with, yeah. do with those people on on February one anyway? Let right. them finish the job. Let them finish out the applications that are on file. Right. And uh, and then. You know, don't accept any applications after uh, after January 31. Finish the ones that are in the pipeline. Everybody's happy. The FAA gets a gold star for being good guy, cooperative, and not hurting safety in any way. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. There's a uh, – as an aside here, I have to say, I don't know. You're probably looking at the AvWeb story. If you go to the EA.org story about this, uh, uh-huh. and uh, there's a picture that's part of the uh, story – I don't know. If, are you looking at it right now? The uh, go to ea.org and then the, the the story is in the list of there's a list of headlines sort of in the in the middle of the page. Yeah. And one of them is EA files exemption. There's a picture. There's a great picture. It part of the story that's uh, taken from over the shoulder of someone flying um, an ultralight in the pattern at uh, during air venture. And uh, every time I've come across, every time I've gone back to look at this article, I stare at this picture for a while because it just looks great. I mean, that's just flying, man. Look, these guys are, he's turning, it must be turning, you know, sort of base to final. It's a, um, for doing flybys at the ultralight. Uh, Where is this we, photo now? Go to, uh, go to ea.org. Got that, got it. Yeah. All right. And then in the middle of the page, there's a list of blue headlines. And one of them uh-huh. is EAA files exemption for, okay. Okay. all right. And you go yeah. to that story. And there's a picture. Oh yeah, in the okay. upper right corner. See. see this picture? Yeah. All right. And uh-huh. every time I go to this picture, I say, "Oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I wanted to click on it to make it a move to make it a video, so that it's not uh-huh. a video." It's, unfortunately, it's, it's a very cool way to fly. I, I mean, bet I've know, never gotten an ultralight. Jeb, have you ever gotten a ride in the pattern at? Oh, uh, not at Oshkosh, but I did at Sun and Fun. Yeah, it's just it must be. Well, part of me is looking at this going. Wow, they're really close to those other airplanes in front of them, and they're probably even closer. They're probably even closer than it looks in this picture. The picture probably makes them seem a little more distant. Um, yeah, but they're only going like forty miles an hour. So yeah, the time between them is greater than your uh, your yeah. your GA background would have you think. Yeah, but uh, uh, that's just like cool flying, and uh, they just kind of go round and round throughout the uh, throughout the different flying times there. Well, and they can leave the pattern and go out and fly uh, northwest of the airport out away from the airspace and the arrival and a pioneer pattern and all that. But, you know, it bears noting that you can tell really old ultralight pilots by the fact that they can tell you airspeed by how hard their pants cuffs are flapping. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's what, you know, you hear the, the wind in the wires, right? That's the old... Uh the old story, the old thing about uh, flying open open cockpit. Well, wind, wind in the wires worked for hang gliders, uh, but uh, okay. you, you know you throw a two stroke out there with a, a, a geared prop, and you, you don't hear the wind in the wires so much. So the pants leg flapping, that that had to take over. It's a little more tactile. Yeah, yeah. So this is great. Maybe next, maybe next summer I'll get my ultralight ride and uh, get a chance to fly in this pattern. You you let me know. We'll work on that. Uh, that'd be great. I'll take advantage. I'll take you up on that. What's next here? Let's see. Uh, off field landing of the week. This, so this is a really interesting one. Um, <laughs> a story from aeronews.net. Uh, an NSF, I believe that's National Science Foundation, chartered plane crashed on takeoff near Mount Patterson. All 10 people on board the Basler, which there's a Oshkosh connection there, Basler DC-3 chartered by the National Science Foundation are safe after the aircraft crashed on takeoff earlier this week in Antarctica. I th- 
say you got to say where dun, dun, Mount dun. Patterson is to make it really sink right. That's in. right. The turboprop converted workhorse was providing support to a group of researchers at a remote location on the southernmost continent. According to NSF, the aircraft uh, experienced difficulties in taking off from a field site near Mount Patterson in West Antarctica on the morning of December 20th. Uh, local time, uh, and roughly 550 miles from McMurdo Station, NSF's logistical hub in Antarctica. So uh, that's, I don't have all the details here, I haven't really, but just the idea of, man, that's an off-field landing, I'll tell you. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty remote. They so barely have fields down there to begin with, of course. You that's know, right. But, uh, but you know, we, we, we've talked uh, occasionally about the idea of how you prepare for if you have to land out, uh, out in the field, out in the, in the bush, in in a normal climate, the <laughs> I, the idea that you would be down in the middle of Antarctica with, uh, you know, I don't know what that's kind of scary. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You think you you think your 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 high was a cold day. Yeah. <laughs> it's summer down there though, now. Well, though. That's true. It is summer down there. And, and I, I, uh, let me I'm let me reiterate. To... You think your high was a cold day? <laughs> yeah. It's summer uh, because it's light, not because right. it's warm. That's right. So that was kind of interesting. That I, no, I, that's not, an interesting flying flying environment down there. I, I, I've not, read stories not, where they have to. So they land on skis. They have these skis attached under to the to underneath yeah. the wheels, and right. and they land. And, and not only do they fly these DC threes, they fly a lot of uh, of C one thirties that are special for that mission. Oh, they fly C one thirties. They fly twin otters. Uh, you know, it's 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 a bush pilot's world. Right. And they have and that Bassler turbo conversion is takes what was a great workhorse to begin with and and you know it makes it into a, a work buffalo i mean it's just a, a massively capable airplane right now one of the things i've heard that i've always caught my attention was that so they land on these skis and uh, and the sort of a semi-prepared surface that they're you know, f- you know landing field that they're landing on but they have to s- make sure they don't st- stand still for too long as they're moving across the snow and the ice because if they stopped moving the skis would freeze to the ground and they wouldn't have enough power to be able to break loose and and so sometimes in certain circumstances they have to like really limit the amount of time that they're not moving or about that for a moment if you keep if you keep the engines running it's not going to uh they're not going to freeze back very quickly and it, you know, and, and if all else fails, you just have everybody pee on the skis. That'll thaw them out. <laughs> well, is it still true that there are during the winter in Antarctica they don't even can't even fly down there? I mean, the, that is true. That uh, there was that big story a couple of years ago where a woman who was uh, it, there and as part of the winter team um, operation or something it developed yeah. some life threatening uh, condition, and they actually was, put together uh, a mission to make a very special trip down there to rescue her uh, in the middle of the winter. And then normally they, they you're you're out of luck if you're if you're down well, the there. First trip down there, they pushed gear out of the airplane, and uh, it, you know it was so damn cold they couldn't shut down. Right. Uh, yeah. If they'd shut down, that would have been it till spring. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, then they came back and and. Uh, evac the lady and same deal you don't shut down the engines uh you uh put them in flight idle maybe if the engine has a prop break you break the prop you know that is bring it to a park so that it's not blasting cold air over the people going into the boarding door uh but you know you got to be in and out of there quick like a bunny i bet a very cold freaking bunny yeah yeah so yeah. well congratulations to the crew of this uh dc3 that uh 
made it managed a successful off-field landing in Antarctica. And, and, and more power, you know. Uh, you know, hope they, uh, you know, get out of there and get the airplane fixed and all that kind of thing. I, it's not clear to me how remote that runway is and do they have you know of course they, i presume they have some shelter and whatnot but do they have enough shelter until they can you know get you know, another airplane in there and that kind of thing that's kind of interesting well, the, the, i would the, not uh, want to be in that pickle the the crew and the uh, and, and the people on the aircraft were flown back to mcmurdo station 550 okay. miles away it doesn't say how <laughs> uh you know, I'm, I'm presuming something else like, uh, you know, as, as Jack mentioned, a C-130 or a Twin Otter or something like yeah. that. Six or eight people would have been, you know, piece of cake on a Twin Otter out and on that kind of turnaround. Uh, and it's kind of strange. A uh, buddy of mine and I were, uh, we'd flown from NBAA in Vegas to a, uh, a, a scuba diving trade show in Houston uh, a few years ago. And uh, when we were back at the airport, getting ready to depart back for Wichita, there were four airplanes from Ken Borak Air Limited, hmm. which is the Canadian charter firm that operates the uh, uh, the airplanes for the National Science Foundation down in Antarctica. And they were in Houston, uh, ferry tanks and supplies and cold weather gear, and they were getting ready to launch to fly down to uh, the tip of South America, where they were going to take a couple of days, reprovision, reinspect the airplanes, and then boom, it was on to Antarctica. And it was winter in Houston, and we're thinking, God, it's going to be colder than a uh, uh, you know than a than a ski plane ski. And until we remembered, nope, opposite side of the world, it's going to be summertime when they get there. Yep. Yeah, but they pull those airplanes out in the wintertime, baby. They go back to Canada, right, mm-hmm. where it's warm. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations to those folks for their successful off-field landing. They are now absolutely. They are now famous for being one of the one of the many uncontrolled airspace off-field landing of the weeks. Uh, here's a story. This is not a very big story, but this is just a story that really warms my heart, and this is my kind of story. Um, mother and son solo on the same day. Uh, this is a story from AvWeb. The first solo that, that first solo flight is special for all pilots, but for a mother and son in Texas, it was even better sharing the experience. AOPA reports that Steve Potit, 43, watched as his mother, Sylvia, 64, soloed recently at Seymour Municipal Airport in Seymour, Texas. Quote, uh, then we hugged, high-fived, and I got in and did mine, Steve said. Steve had recently partnered with a friend to buy a 172. He was surprised when he showed the airplane to his mother that she was so interested in it. Turns out she had wanted to fly, to learn to fly since she was nine years old, but had never pursued it. She's now part owner of the airplane. Quote, it was special to see her pursue a lifelong passion, Steve told AOPA. Quote, taking, cool. taking her first solo flight was a major step towards that goal. So congratulations to uh, to Steve and Sylvia for their first solo. Uh, that's just awesome. I, I just, you yeah, know. That's, that's, that's very cool. That's great. One of the subjects that's come up uh, in the forum, we've talked uh, explicitly a couple times recently about how uh, aviation mechanics don't get paid very well. And one, uh, one listener commenting in the forums pointed out that uh, CFIs don't get paid paid very well either absolutely and, uh, don't. 
No, and, they don't. Uh, you know, and I think we've sort of alluded to that many times uh, in the past months. But uh, it's worth mentioning that uh, um, that uh, people who uh, teach people like Steve and Sylvia to fly are doing it largely as a labor of love. Um, you know, I mean, some of some of them are working towards a career, um, but even they are are not making very much money. It's. Uh, I mean, is that a good thing? I mean, that, that should would would aviation training be better if these folks got paid more? Say I that again. It, cool. Would it, I'm speechless. Be would, would aviation be better if these people got paid more? Yeah. Would it attract uh, more qualified CFIs? I think it would retain more qualified CFIs. Yeah. yeah. I think it would help grow the industry faster and, and, and further. Um, you know, I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know when I say this. The, the typical model... As long as I can remember, and I've been around this industry too long, um, but it's always That's what been. Orville and Wilbur said. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, the typical uh, um, pecking order has always been: you get 250 hour, whatever it is now. You get your, you know, you get your private, you get your uh, instrument, you get 250 hours, get your commercial, and uh, <clears throat> you go <clears throat> start flying. Uh, banner towing or parachute jumping and, and and like that then you start flying 135 and you get your 1200 hours you get your I mean you get your flight instructor in there and you start really building time fly, you know flying the right seat of 150s and 172s you get your 1200 hours you get your 135 uh, IFR sign off and uh, wow you're riding right seat of Navajos and and uh, you know you start working your way up this up this ladder, <clears throat> but you're still getting paid minimum wage, if that. And uh, uh, a lot of people are having uh, who want an aviation career are having to shell out twenty, thirty, forty, fifty grand, uh, depending on where they're going and and how, and how quickly they want to get there. Um, and that's just a lousy way to run a railroad. Um, Absolutely. You know, uh, aviation uh, uh, training should be um, like anything else, and it, it, to a great extent, it is. Uh, you know, uh, there are there are colleges, there are, are are loan programs, there are you know various sponsorships uh, people can can get uh, get a handle on to to get uh, these these this education and these degrees necessary to to really make a career out of this. But it's not like uh, uh, it's not as, as formalized and it's not as well supported. Uh, and even after all of that, after the fifty grand in intuition and uh, um, all the time and experience that these people have gained, they're still making minimum wage when they come out the other end of this meat grinder. And uh, it's it's just really a, a sad state of affairs. We've got you know, flight instructors are, are literally the people passing on knowledge. And we can, you know, talk about how some of the younger flight instructors these days um, perhaps need a little bit more knowledge to pass along, shall we say. Um, but, uh, you know, there's there's glimmers of hope and, and uh, there's glimmers of doom in, in, in both sides of that coin. Um, the, the guys who, who want to, you know, fly for a living and, and, you know, get in the transport category aircraft and, and uh, fly on a schedule for a 121 carrier, 
they're making barely barely more than, than poverty wages when they come out of school and get that first job. Uh, that's not a whole lot of incentive. We're not getting the best and the brightest out there. And once they go through this meat grinder, there's not a whole lot of incentive for them to stay unless they just really, 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 really love this industry. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I want to come back to this when we haven't been running so long because yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there, there's more to be said about this, uh, both on the mechanic side and the CFI side. Right. But uh, when we come back to it, we'll i got some more to pick on the CFI side. Okay. Yeah. There's, 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 you know, I, I don't know what Dave's going to say, if he's going to agree with me or disagree with me, but, uh, um, Oh, I'm going to agree. I'm yeah. going to get into yeah. some examples. Yeah, flesh, flesh, flesh it out some more. But it's, it's the same thing is true for CFIs. The same thing is true for mechanics. The same thing is true for, uh, uh, people who are flying your family over the holidays. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there really isn't enough money uh, in this for people. Uh, um, you know, it, it's crazy. I mean, the, the people working on your Mercedes or your BMW or even your Ford Taurus uh, at the local dealership are making more money doing that than the people working on your airplane. The people training um, <clears throat> you to fly are not making as much money as the people training your son or your daughter or yourself to drive. Yeah. And there's just something fundamentally askew here. It's, a, it's an odd situation, no question about it. Uh, check out the uh, – oh, I know what I was going to say. We should tr- – maybe we should get one of our friends from uh, NAFI uh, into the virtual hangar one of these days uh, and so, uh, um, to talk a little bit more about this uh, and because uh, it's an interesting it. subject. Also, you can go to the uh, Uncontrolled Airspace forums uh, in the uh, category virtual hangar other topics. There's a, a thread called CFIs where people are talking about uh, the whole question of – of compensation and, and whatnot for CFIs. Check that out. Last thing on our list for today. Let's see. What do we got here? Oh, so Dave, I think you published this. Something about uh, FAA making notams available online or something like this. This Lo- is local notams. No- yeah. <coughs> this is like notams. phenomenal. What's okay? Why? Well, for a long time, if you didn't personally talk to a briefer with flight service. And, and I'm not even going to get to what issues have come with that in the last year. Uh, I'm not touching it. Uh, that was how you could receive information on local NOTAMs down the road from where you were starting out. If a NOTAM wasn't posted as a national NOTAM, a D-NOTAM, then it didn't show up on the uh, on the DUOTS briefing. It didn't show up on some of the flight plan briefings. It uh, wouldn't show up on the national database. Uh, so you had to talk to flight service, which kind of made the idea of electronic briefing and electronic filing a little bit moot because if you didn't get that no- local NOTAM and, and, and somehow busted it and caused a problem, the FAA would hold you accountable for not being briefed properly, which meant, oh, if you're going to do it electronically, it's why I never went to electronics. I preferred to talk to a human being. Well, now the FAA is making the local NOTAMs that were not part of the electronic database, not electronically available before, available so that when you get an electronic briefing through DUATS or, or some of the services, that you'll get the local NOTAMs uh, as well as the national NOTAMs. And uh, nothing like cruising into uh, destination airport uh, in instrument conditions to find out that, uh, wow, there's a local NOTAM about a 275-foot crane one-half miles north-northwest of the arrival to 1-8. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, uh, the, the crane notum likely would be, have been disseminated, but the notum that says, you know, there's no fuel, or the notum that oh, says uh, yeah. um, the taxiways are closed, or um, um, that only, uh, um, you know, the, or in the wintertime that the, the snow-moving equipment is broken. Uh, that kind of note might not make it into the system. Uh, this is this is uh, a big deal. This is a yeah. big deal, folks. This is huge. And more important uh, is the uh, the last paragraph in this story, which is on the AOPA website. It says the change marks the first stage of a three part plan for updating the NOTAM system. Over the coming years, the FAA also plans to merge the Department of Defense NOTAM system, good luck with that, and the civilian system, uh, and to fully digitize all NOTAM information to include graphics. Uh, the final phases of the projects will not be completed before 2010, but, you know, that's, that's great. We're talking two years or so. This is like two generations overdue. Oh, as far as I'm concerned, to, to get this this kind of thing nailed down, there is just simply no excuse. I mean, how long has Dubots <clears throat> been around? Exactly, there is no excuse whatsoever for the current state of this NOTAM system in the United States. We're, we're still using basically what is teletype based technology dating from the 40s and 50s uh, to, to disseminate this information. And again, there's no graphics available. It, it, it took 9/11 actually for uh, the federal government, whether it's the FAA or, or, or any number of other agencies, to finally wake up to the fact that um, trying to <clears throat> convince some people to plot out, convince pilots to plot out a, a TFR by giving them the lat long and proceed, you know, in such and such a direction and this kind of thing. Um, to, to plot airspace that they're supposed to avoid don't work too well. Right. Arcane. Um, yeah. So now how is this going to work? These, these will now just come up through your electronic briefing the way national NOTAMs have been coming up all along? That's the idea. That's yeah. the idea, yeah. And are, they, and, and are they going to commit to this? Can we depend on the fact that, that all the NOTAMs are going to appear here? That's why they made the announcement. Yeah, okay. it's, it's, it says as of January uh, at 0500 UTC on uh, January 28th, so midnight um, East Coast time on the 28th. Yeah, yep. all the more reason to get one of those electronic devices that you can use on the ramp or maybe even in flight. <laughs> huh? Well, you know, <clears throat> it's all the more reason for, uh, um, yeah, for for there to be a a uh, right size, right weight, um, portable device. Um, uh, ostensibly, you know, used most of the time with a pin interface, but also with the capability to accept a USB keyboard and mouse that has Wi-Fi built into it, as well as some other communication technologies, and you know, get it, get it, and all the software to run it um, for five hundred dollars. That's not, you know, a problem. Should not be a problem anyway. And, yeah, it should not. And, uh, yeah. Those, that stuff's changing so dramatically, so rapidly right now. I think we're going to see it. The, the only problem right. being it's that it's changing it, so fast, it's only taken 15 years. Well, see, but it's taking longer in the aviation world because this, there's so much, you know, uh, regulation, I guess I would say. But, uh, Institutional inertia is Yeah, but, this, the, it, but the, the, the level one 
uh, portable devices don't have to be certified by the FAA. They just That's have right. to display the information. Right, because out in the regular world, is all these things are changing uh, just remarkably fast. Exactly. I mean, there's all these portable devices that people have, everything from fancy cell phones to tablet devices to you know mini laptops to it's just it's it's incredibly. You know, there's a revolution going on there, and uh, and it's got to find its way to the aircraft ramp eventually. I'm looking for a P phone. A P phone. Yeah, that's one that'll go to the can for me, so I don't have to get off the podcast. <laughs> shoutouts. Well, on that note, shoutouts. Anything? <laughs> la 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 la. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> TMI. Shout out. I got. I got a shout out. Um, came across a, a, a actually that didn't come across, but. Uh, uh, got an email uh, recently from uh, old high school buddy of mine, college roommate buddy of mine. Uh, um, kept up with him over the years. Hadn't talked to him in a year or two. And uh, um, he says, oh, by the way, you know, good job on the podcast. And uh, uh, I'd just like to give a little shout out to Greg and uh, thank him for listening. And uh, hope all's well with you, man, and, and look forward to catching up with you again real soon. One story that, that came in the news up here uh, recently in talking about New England aviation uh, is apparently, and I didn't know about this, but up in Auburn, Maine, uh, which is uh, about, uh, well, about th- almost three hours north of Boston, um, Auburn, Maine is a really active GA uh, airport, and uh, apparently there have been two non-airworthy uh, Connies uh, sitting in the grass up there. And owned by a, uh, a, a collector who was trying to finance the restoration of them and wasn't able to do it. And it was in the news recently that he's cut a deal. He apparently sold them, I believe it's to Lufthansa, who have purchased these things and committed to, to restoring them. And uh, apparently this guy owns three of these Connies. Two are sitting in the grass at Auburn, and one is apparently down in Florida. And the news story was, it wasn't clear on whether uh, Lufthansa was going to restore all three of them or use the three to make one working one. But uh, they're going to do it up there in Auburn, Maine, apparently. They're going to build a hangar and hire about a dozen people to uh, work on these things, and it's going to take a couple of years, they say. And uh, I think that's an interesting story. I'm going to keep an eye on it. Uh, when it gets a little warmer, I'm going to drive up there. If you go into into uh, Google Maps or uh, Google Earth and uh, look at that airport in the satellite view, you can actually see these things sitting in the grass next to the runway. And uh, they uh, very cool. They're going to be cool. they're going to be restored. So we're going to have at least one more Connie in the fleet, which will be very cool. So uh, I hope they I hope they're already fi- looking for somebody that will know how to start and manage the engines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one That's... of the reasons why that cockpit had a flight engineer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we follow that story, maybe I'll uh, I'll go up there with the camera one of these days and take some pictures and uh, share them with everyone. Dave, you, go. you got anything? Uh, nothing specific. I just like to encourage uh, everybody to uh, get out there, exercise the privilege, find some place to go, get a 2008 flight in your logbook as early as possible, and you know, keep the uh, skills alive. Yeah. Spring's coming soon. Yeah. Well, there we go. Another one in the in the can here. Thanks to uh, Jeb. You can learn more about Jeb and his work at uh, jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com, and avweb.com. Dave, uh, check out his uh, pictures and his writing at DaveHignan.com and myself at JackHodgson.com or AroundTheField.net. And you can visit us all at the UncontrolledAirspace.com website, especially the forum, which we're obviously very excited about right now. So uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us here in the virtual hangar, and we'll talk to you all again next time. Drink up and 
you'll have another Forget your troubles as they grow few Once a day for a lifetime Then you'll know what I go through 